All right. Our scripture this morning is in the book of Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then when I went to Syria and Cilicia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Uh, stories are powerful. In fact, if you were to enter just that into Google, stories are powerful, you would be inundated with all these reasons for why that's the case. Uh, we're told stories are memorable, stories help us think, stories link us together, stories are engaging and relatable and, and so on. Uh, stories are powerful. And so what we're going to consider today from this text is how your story is powerful, the power of your story and mine. And what I would just venture to guess here at the top is that uh, we probably don't consider the power of our own stories anywhere near as much as we ought to. And so we're going to get into that today as we, as we continue to uh, move, into, move a little bit more deeply into this book of Galatians, that we, this series that we started last week, series we're calling The Gospel, Our Greatest Need. And as we start to get further into the book of Galatians, we are now going to be introduced a little bit more fully to its author, the Apostle Paul, and hear a little bit more of his story. And I believe through his story, we're going to see how God wants to use, can use our stories to have incredible impact in the world. So the, the question I kind of want to frame here at the top, just as we uh, get into the word today, is have you considered your own story and its power? Uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity yet again at the start of our weeks to look to you, to sing your praises, and to look now to your word. Father, thank you for uh, the greatest story of all, uh, your love for us and sending your son to die for us, to bring us back into relationship with you. Father, as we consider this more closely today, would you please give us each your spirit? As ever, I pray that you would help me get out of the way even and that you would speak through what it is uh, you have on your heart for each of us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so today we pick up in the second half of Galatians chapter 1. We're getting into the letter a little bit more deeply, as we've, as we've said, looking at Apostle Paul and seeing a little bit more of his story. But here's what we've learned so far. The Apostle Paul was a church planter. 
okay? He had, up until this point of writing this letter, gone throughout the region of what was then known as uh, Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, around the Mediterranean Sea. He had gone throughout that region, going from town to town, sharing the gospel with Gentiles. This was really the first time the gospel, or the good news of Jesus, went beyond Jerusalem and the Jewish people to the Gentiles. And so what Paul was doing is he was going from town to town in this region and sharing the gospel there, namely that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that we can have a relationship restored with God if we believe in what he did for us for the forgiveness of sins and that God the Father raised him again to life. We can have eternal life with him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. He was sharing that as he was going around to each of these towns. And as these Gentiles were putting their faith in Jesus, becoming Christian, he would then start a church. After this church got up and going, he established some leadership. He'd move on to the next city in the region, rinse and repeat, okay? That's what Paul had been doing. The only thing was that he later come to understand that there was a group of false teachers traveling in his wake. And essentially what they were saying to these same uh, now Christians that had put their faith in Jesus, these Gentile Christian churches, these false teachers were saying, yeah, sure, believe what Paul has told you. Believe his gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that you can receive forgiveness and eternal life because of what he's done by faith. Yeah, believe all that, but you must also adopt Jewish traditions and, and the ceremonial law. And, and, and then when you, when you believe in Jesus and you adopt these practices, then and only then will you be right with God. Will you be brought into the Christian family? And by the time Paul caught wind of this, uh, he was just, to use his word as we looked at last week, just astonished. Chapter one, verse six says, we'll look at it just again real quickly. I am astonished that you have so quickly des- you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And if you were here last week, we, you know that Paul came out the gate just absolutely swinging. I mean, he just starts with these words of salutation saying, grace and peace to you guys that I saw you as, you know, how are you doing? That sort of thing. And wait a minute, guys, how are you believing this other gospel? That's more or less what we just read there in verse 6. He just kind of starts there because this is such an important matter. And how we said it last week, and really how we're going to say it throughout this whole series, because this is really what the, the book of Galatians in its entirety is about, is Paul is saying the gospel plus anything equals no gospel. The gospel plus anything equals no gospel. For the minute you take what Jesus did on the cross for your sins and mine, and we receive that by faith alone and we're restored into a relationship with God, eternal life, the minute we take that and add anything to it, Paul is saying in this letter, you've lost it entirely. You can add even wonderful things, like, you know, religious things, things that the scriptures say are important. Believe in Jesus, but also make sure you go to church. And only then will God be happy with you. Will he receive you? No, no, no. You do that, you lose the gospel. Believe in Jesus, yeah, but then you must be baptized. You heard Cindy earlier say it as we were talking about baptism. We do baptism because Jesus tells us to, not because it saves us, but because he tells us to. It's not the way we're brought back into relationship with him. In fact, that's what baptism is. It's ultimately a picture of what's happened in our hearts when we received him. Because the gospel plus anything equals no gospel because if we take what Jesus did and add anything to it, we're saying Jesus plus ourselves in some way and that flies in the face of what the gospel is all about because the gospel says we are all just separated from God in our own doing. 
There's nothing we can do for our part to get us back into relationship with God. Jesus has done everything for us. The gospel plus anything equals no gospel. Okay, that's setting the table. That's what we've talked about. That's what we're going to continue to talk about in all its implications as we go through the book of Galatians. But here, as Paul kind of gets further into it in the second half of Galatians chapter 1, what he's now turning to do is defending his credibility. Because what we see in this text and others in, throughout the book of Galatians is reading between the lines, it's clear these false teachers were not just saying, believe Paul's gospel and this other stuff. They were also saying, and why should you believe Paul at all? What authority does he have? In other words, they're trying to un- they were trying to undermine Paul's credibility. He's not one of the original 12 guys hanging out with Jesus. Why would you, why would you believe him? You should believe us. Okay? So that kind of brings us up to speed, sets the context for what we're looking at today. It's with that in mind that Paul says these words. I want you to know, brothers and sisters of the Galatian churches, that the gospel I preached to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Here's what Paul is saying here. Guys, that gospel I brought to you was not just me making up some stuff. Like, I was not just like willy-nilly going, you know what, I, sh- I don't have anything else to do. Let me go around the region of Galatia and just start sharing a gospel I've come up with. It's like, Galatians, you know this. Specifically, he says, you know this because you know my story, Paul says. And he kind of highlights that a little bit. He says, you know how I used to persecute God's church. Just think about that, Galatians. Like, why would I be doing any of this? Do you remember who I was? You know my story. Specifically, he was referring to how he used to go around and straight up hunt Christians to put them in jail because they were Christian and even have them killed. And now he's become essentially the, he's, got, he's moved from being the biggest persecutor of God's church to the biz, biggest advocate, the, the biggest missionary of God's church. And, and he's trying to appeal to Galatians. He's like, look, this is not just of me. The only reason why I'm doing this is because it's from God. You know my story. Uh, one of the things he's referencing here. Uh, if you know a little bit of Paul's story, if you don't, we'll kind of talk about it real briefly here, is his conversion on the road to Damascus. You can look at this in greater detail if you want. It's in the book of Acts chapter 9. Paul actually refers to it many times throughout all his letters. Here's just one other time here in the book of Galatians. But it was a time in which he was heading to Damascus in order to, wait for it, persecute more Christians. Throw them in jail, have them killed. Only along the way to Damascus, the very famous incident happened where Jesus, the risen Jesus, showed up to him, struck him blind, and called out to him, Saul, Saul, that was his name before his name changed to Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus went on to give him a calling to take the, the gospel to the Gentiles, which he's carrying out now. And what Paul is saying to the Galatians is, guys, you know my story. It's like, I was... I was going as far in that direction as you could go. I was literally persecuting the church. And now I'm out here starting churches. It's like, do you think I just made this up? No, this gospel, this good news is from God. You know my story. Uh, 
What we're talking about now, our topic at hand today, is, is how our stories, too, have power. So we're going to consider how, we, as we look at, the, at his story, we see some parallels, scripturally speaking, to the power of our own stories. And the first thing I want to highlight for us is the fact that your story is powerful, it has power, because ultimately it's not about you. Your story and mind, followers of Christ, isn't just your story, isn't just about you, isn't just about me. And because of that, it has, it has incredible power. Um, you know, Paul had a very dramatic story. Okay, I think we can all kind of agree to that. Paul's story, his conversion on the Damascus Road, where the risen Jesus showed up to him, struck him off his horse blind. You know, that's, that's a dramatic story. It's kind of cool. I would love to hear someone tell that story. It's pretty, pretty incredible. But you know what's incredible? Is if you think about that, as incredible as his story, dramatic as it is, humanly speaking, so too are your stories and mine, theologically speaking. Just as dramatic, actually, more so. Because what the scriptures teach are clear. The miracle of putting our faith in Jesus, coming to know Jesus, receiving what he's done for us, is nothing short of the miracle of life to death. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, but in Christ you are now made alive. Or Galatians 1 uh, 4 from last week, Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age. Your story and mine is a rescue story in, in, in a sense. Theologically speaking, it's, there's no greater story than there is. The reason why I highlight this is because having been around as a pastor, Christian friend, I have had on many occasions people say to me, oh, my story, my faith journey isn't all that special. And just so you know, if that's you, if you've ever said that, I've said that too. So we're all in it together. But I've heard people say, hey, my story, there's really nothing all that special to, to it. The problem is that doesn't under, understand fully what we're talking about here. <laughs> Because, I, so, okay, I understand why uh, we would think to say that. It's because, you know, maybe a Christian has heard some very dramatic story of somebody who's come to put their faith in Jesus, say, out of prison. Like, they're in the jail cell. I mean, stories abound. You can find them or just find someone on the street. They're, they're around. Somebody who came to faith in just a very dramatic way. And we're like, wow, if that happened, just a 180 in our, in our sense of thinking of it, to now following Jesus, like, my story's not that. It's not special. You know, that's, I, I understand where we're coming from when we go there. But Christian friends, don't you dare go there. Because that's not really your story at the end of it, if we get down to it, as far as the faith story. Because the faith story is what God has done in you, and that is he's rescued you. He's brought you from death to life. And really, if we want to say the point we've already put up on the screen a little bit more clearly now, your story has power because ultimately it's God's story in you. It's not just your story and mine. It's God's story in ours. I want you to notice something in the text I thought was just profound uh, in my study this week. Uh, notice how Paul, when he begins to recount his story, he talks about uh, his before and after meeting Jesus. And, and the part he talks about before Christ, notice the, all this emphasis on himself. Okay, look at verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and how I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond other people my age. I mean, you see the emphasis, right? Paul's just saying, I is me, okay. Look at verse 15. But when God, who set me apart, 
from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. I mean, you see in, in real time as Paul was writing this scripture, this shift of his of realizing that it was his story into God's story in him. You see that? He's like, this is my story. But then, but then when God got a hold of me, he saw God's story in him. Uh, one of my greatest privileges and joys as a pastor is getting to hear uh, a number of people's faith stories or even just stories in general. I just love that about being a pastor. I get the chance just to sit across folks or over coffee or whatever the case might be and, and hear the faith story of others. And one thing I've noticed uh, down the years, many years now at this point of hearing many stories, is there often comes a time for folks when they've put their faith in Jesus, it, it, it clicks for them that they had been thinking about in terms of their story, and, now, and then there's that moment where they start to see it as God's story. Are, are you tracking this, this thought? So like, for instance, and this can happen at any point in someone's faith journey who becomes Christian. It can happen either at the moment when somebody puts their faith in Jesus. It can happen later. But there comes a moment where somebody's, the way they kind of share their faith story, it's like, you know, I was... I was realizing I needed something else in my life. So I, I started to go to church. I was looking into it. I was asking questions. Okay, good, fair. But actually, theologically, scripturally, what Paul would say is, yeah, you had that perspective. You lived that out. But really, it was God chasing you. God was pursuing you. Uh, the famous uh, English poet, uh, Francis Thompson, uh, late 19th century, early uh, 20th century poet, uh, wrote a very famous poet uh, poem called... Uh, the great hound of heaven. Have you heard of this? Uh, even the concept is pretty incredible. But with fear of God in him, he, he describes how God is the great hound of heaven and how it's always God chasing after us. It's always his initiative. It's always him coming after you and me, even if we've, in our minds, thought of it the other way around, of us chasing him. He's always taking the initiative with us. He's the one, as he did with Paul, revealing Christ to us, and we can receive it or choose not to. And what we see all throughout the scriptures, including through Paul, is that through his followers, God wants to use you and me to reach others, to, to pursue others with his love. And what's incredible about the text we're looking at today is that he does that in big part through your story and mine. Now, one of the things, and we'll, we'll unpack this as we go, that I just love about this is the fact that that really kind of takes the pressure off, wouldn't you say? I mean, do you know your story? Could you know your story? It's a big part of how we, in our mission to help people see Jesus, as we talked about two weeks ago, and lift him up, remember John 12? We share our story. We point to him through, through our story. Okay, we'll, we'll talk more about what that look, can look like as, as we go. So first, we see that your story has power because it's, it's God's story in you. Number two, we see your story has power because it can encourage others deeply. Your story has the power to encourage others deeply. So Paul, in our text, continues to talk about his story. He kind of refers to his previous way of life and how God got a hold of him and Jesus and how that change happened. Okay, he goes on to share more of that. But then by verse 23 and 24, he talks about how other churches received that. He says, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. In other words, these churches, these other Christians heard the story of Paul and were deeply encouraged, even to the point of praising God because of what God had done, God's story in Paul. 
uh, I had the opportunity just this last week to hear two more faith stories. And please hear this. I'm not like, oh, I got a sermon on stories. I got to meet with people and ask them their story. It just happened to be that way. It's pretty cool. But I got to meet with two guys, and they just happened to share bits and pieces of, of their story. And it was, it's a real privilege to get to hear it, hear them. Uh, I, and I just remember thinking, uh, the, both of these guys were really sharing, uh, separate from each other, different conversations. They were sharing how they were trying their best, given some challenging circumstances in, in their own respect, to follow the Lord as best they could. And I just remember at one point, uh, when both of these guys were telling their story, just, just recognizing the fact that I was deeply encouraged by them sharing their stories. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like man, this is really encouraging. That wasn't the point of our getting together, me hearing the story, that I would be personally encouraged. But I realized, man, hearing their story, just the, the genuine realness of what they were trying to work out in their faith was deeply encouraging to me. Just as a side note, uh, one guy in particular is, is really interesting. He, he got into a lot more detail of, of his story. He was sharing how uh, previously and even to this day, he, he had been a very successful person. Now, I'm talking successful, successful person. I mean, even his, just, his acad academic accolades alone and scholarships and awards and all that, just, just that alone would, would make my resume look like a barren wasteland, okay? <laughs> We're talking to that level, okay? But he also was good at sports. He also went to the highest level of music. Like, we're talking achievement. But at one point he talked about it, and this is really, I, I thought it was really fascinating. He was just like, yeah, and I just, I came to the place and realized I needed to count it all loss, He's quoting another letter that Paul wrote uh, to the Philippians, the, the churches in Philippi, talking about, you know, man, all this achievement, but I, I really came to realize it was all loss. Now, before you start to think, perhaps, that he was over-spiritualizing it, like really that was kind of a humble brag, like, come on, man, that's like, you got all these achievements, don't try to be all spiritual about it too. Now you're trying to claim spiritual, you know, whatever. He's like, he's like, no, don't misunderstand me. The way he said it, I thought this was so insightful. He said, achievement, success is a cruel master. And he started to break that down. He said, for every award I won, the tests, like I, let's say I won the award for scoring highest on the test among many people who are trying to do it. It just meant an, another test that I had to place first next time because I had to remain on top. And then when I scored this really, really prestigious, many people sought after award but got silver, the question always was, well, why not gold? And you start to list it all off, and you're like, whoa, okay, I'm tracking now. And what he said is, he's like, man, for a lot of people, you'd think maybe that would lead you to joy. This amount of success would lead you to a, a sense of satisfaction in life. And he's like, I, I wrestled with that. He said, but really, mostly what I struggled with was internal condemnation and despair and shame. And he said, what was more is it really had an alienating effect on him. Like his peers just start, started to see him as that guy, writing him off. And, and then he didn't, he had all this time that he had to spend in studying and trying to get the next words. So he didn't have time to hang out with people. And you could see, and I realized, you see the progression of that. And I realized for me, I was like, I was, it was, it was incredibly moving to hear him say this. And then he got to the point, he said, but he had his own, but when God moment. He said, but I started, my family switched churches, and I went to a church that started really sharing the gospel, namely that I am accepted in Christ for what he has done, regardless of what I do, can't do, don't do. And I realized, oh my goodness, that was the freedom that God gave to me through his son. He's realizing my acceptance, my full acceptance was in him. And as I was hearing him share the story, I was, I was, I was deeply moved, but I was also deeply encouraged 
First of all, because he's a buddy of mine. I'm just like, man, to hear that story at that level of vulnerability is, you know, it's encouraging. But number two, I've also, humbly speaking, seen achievement and success take people in the other direction. And so to hear him process the way he was processing it as a heart level, it's not only refreshing, it's deeply encouraging to go, whoa. And it was also not hard to see God's hand in that as he was shaping him. Now, does that mean, you know, my friend is now living a sinless life and doesn't struggle anymore with success and achievement and eternal conduct. That's not what we're saying. But, we're, but what we're saying is his God's story in him, just by way of byproduct, was deeply encouraging to me. As hopefully, even as I shared, it was deeply encouraging to you. All of us have a story, God's story in us, that God can and wants to use to encourage others deeply. Have you considered it that way before? Now, some of you, I know you're so humble, you probably go to the far end of the spectrum and start thinking, oh, but that's making it about me. No, remember point one. Point one is it's actually, in the end, not your story. It's God's story in you. And God's story in you, he wants to use to encourage others deeply. What's your but when God moment? Perhaps you have a few. You know, you see, verse 15, Paul goes from, this is my life, this is what I was about. But when God revealed himself through Christ. What's your but when God moment? Or do you, do you have a few? You probably do have a few. Where God kind of got a hold of you, shaped you, reoriented you. What's your but when God moment? And could you look to encourage others with that? Now, real quick, I want to consider this practically before we move on to our last point. It's obvious that life is not just going around from one large campfire to the next where we can just share our stories, Okay. That's not how life works, okay? So what does this mean practically? Like when we talk about our story, the first thing I want to say is, nevertheless, look for opportunities to share your story. Look for your opportunity. Look for opportunities to share God's story in you because while life isn't just one big campfire to the next where you can just share your story all the time, I think the flip side is, and I imagine most Christians here are tempted to probably never look for opportunities to share their story at all or God's story in them at all. And friend, that's one of the best ways, perhaps the best way, to help point people to Jesus through your story. Are you looking for opportunities to share God's story in you? The second thing I want to say is, can you recognize or, or recognize, look to recognize the places where your story is having an indirect impact on encouraging others? Okay, what do I mean by that? Your story encourages others indirectly, constantly. If you're here, chances are it's probably already happening today. What, what, what do we mean? Well, just wherever you go, your presence, you bring who you are with you. You bring your story. And for that matter, when you show up to church, you're bringing God's story in you indirectly. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, that's just a part of the deal. And that can have an encouraging effect indirectly. Well, what does that look like? Well, just, I mean, make a, it might seem like a very trivial example. Just asking people on a Sunday morning, hey, how are you doing, is one of the most encouraging things for me. Now, most people say fine, you know, busy, whatever it is. I do too, just so you know. And even when you don't, sometimes there's more behind even just saying fine. I mean, you smile, okay, even, okay. But sometimes folks will say, and it's always very encouraging, there it is. Uh, when people say, oh, you know, this last week was a little bit more challenging or whatever it is, just kind of open up a little bit. And it's not like we're going to be able to have a long conversation on a Sunday morning. But even if we don't get into the intricacies of what that week was like or whatever it might be, there is stories being passed. There's a relationship happening. And I'll just say, for one, it's just encouraging to know that we're in it together. 
There's an encouragement just being, just knowing our stories, are, we're in this life together. The other thing is hopefully it encourages us to pray for the other. Hopefully it encourages us to think of them and kind of walk life with them together. Uh, Hebrews 10, 25 said, let us, says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This has become such a banner of a verse for me as a pastor coming out of the lockdown. Because I think as we're establishing new normals in, in you know, post-pandemic world, I think in-person fellowship, church, and what have you is all the more important. In fact, that's even captured in the word. All the more as you see the day approaching. If anything, this needs to become more important as time goes on. But don't miss, there's a big component that we ought to encourage one another. And I would just say so much of this encouragement happens indirectly before we even get under the surface. Now, let's look for ways to get under the surface. That's the third thought, okay? So practically speaking, as far as your story encouraging others, look for opportunities to share your story. Okay, recognize that it can be encouraging even if directly. And then third, I would just say there's ways to get more proactive, say, in a church setting of joining a current group, small group, or joining a team, as Cindy highlighted earlier, because these are opportunities to go a little bit more deeply. And I would just say on the front of the Sunday morning team, that's one of the really fun things because— uh, in, uh, in our groups, it's really special. You get to have that time where you get into the Word together and talk and share each other's lives. You go from, from pews, so to speak, into circles, lines of, to, to circles. But on a Sunday team, you get kind of the more ad hoc, inorganic uh, encouragement that happens. I just would highlight since we're highlighting that today. All right. Your story is God's story in you, therefore it has power. And it has power to encourage. Third thought, last thought. Your story has power because it can help others see and receive Jesus. Your story has the power to help others see and receive Jesus. Look back at verse 15. Paul said, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He goes on to say, I didn't go to find a human. I, I knew it was from him. But notice he says, so that I might preach him among the, gospel, uh, the, the Gentiles. God created you and me, just like Paul, just like so many other people in the scriptures who talk about the same very thought. He created you and me for great purpose. God did not create you as far as what we're talking about today, his mission, his purpose, on accident or as a surprise or as a third-party bystander or as a, as, as a player on the bench watching a game over there be played. God created you and me for purpose. And he even highlights the fact that he was, as we sung about earlier, that even before we were born, in my mother's womb, Paul said, he created me for this purpose, to make him known. God calls you and me into incredible purpose and wait for it, he does that through our stories. He does it through his story in us. The Apostle Peter wrote about it this way in his letter to the churches. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer. Meaning, in relationship, you and I will have opportunities to share. Share what? The reason for the hope that you have. What hope is that? The hope of Jesus. The hope of him Galatians 1, 4, rescuing you and me. 
the hope of him bringing us into life, bringing us back into a relationship because of what he did on the cross for our sins. In other words, the hope of God's story now in us when we've put our faith in him. God created us for a purpose. For God, or excuse me, for Paul uh, specifically, that was to take the gospel, the good news to the Gentiles. Okay, that was a very specific calling. So he started to go throughout the Mediterranean sharing, sharing the gospel, establishing churches. You know what's interesting about his tactic, his strategy? I mean, Paul did a number of things, and we have a lot of what he shared along the way recorded in the scriptures, how he went about doing it strategically. You know, you want to know one of his main strategies for sharing the gospel? Sharing his story. You could see so many places in these letters or throughout his accounts where he's going to visit these churches, say in the book of Acts, where he's sharing his story in order to point people to Jesus because it's not his story, it's God's story in him. That's what God did for Paul more specifically for you and me. He gives you and me his story in us to make him known. Acts 17 puts it this way. From one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. This is Paul speaking, by the way. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. That's saying that God has made all people and placed them very purposely that perhaps they would reach out to him and receive him. And I would just say, taking that a step forward, if you are a follower of Jesus, that means he has also placed you specifically where you are, in your neighborhood, in your community, on your sports team, at your kids' schools, whatever it might be, in order to help others see him, receive him. And how does he do it? Well, a key way he wants to do that is through your story, his story in you. I love this insight. If we can put the verse that I had uh, back up on the screen of, of 1 Peter 3, it says, always be prepared to give an answer for the, for the reason uh, that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Let's get real for a second. We live in an area that is not known for being receptive towards Christianity, okay? Bay Area, Silicon Valley is not very known for being receptive towards Christianity. It can therefore feel quite scary, daunting, you name it, to point people to Jesus. But you know how you and I can do it? <laughs> Through our story. God's story in us. And why is that incredible? Well, for any number of reasons, but not least of which, because your story is not a sermon. You know, it's not a soapbox. I mean, I guess you could tell your story that way, but that's, that's not God's story in you, right? It's not a sermon. It's not preaching. It's not a debate. It's not an argument. It's your story. And you just can put out the hope of Jesus, God's story in you. Uh, the church down the ages has called this our testimony. I think it's a great word, a testimony, because it's, it's what testifies to God. And it also highlights the fact that it's not really about us, it's about God in it. We're testifying to who he is, what he's, he's done. Helps us point others to him with gentleness and respect. All right, so here's today's question as we wrap up. Do you know your story? Have you thought about how you can share your story and have, have you thought about how you can share your story specifically to point others to God's story in you? In other words, to point others to him. And I would just say that Paul gives us a wonderful framework here. If you look at verses 13, 14, and then also 15, you see that the framework that Paul gives us, if you want to just use it as a model, is first asking, what, what, who were we before Jesus, right? 
What were our aims? What were our desires? What was our direction? How was that going for us? And then verse 15, but when God, and who are we now in Christ? What has Christ done in our, who are we before Christ and who are we after Christ? And that can serve as a wonderful framework for sharing our story and pointing, pointing people to others in him, which is our aim, to point people to Jesus, that they would see him lifted up. Stories are powerful. Stories have the power to change lives. But what the text here shows us is that stories have the power to change eternity. Your story, God's story in you has the power to change eternity. So the question is, can you look for ways to share it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word and how it invites us uh, to, like Paul, point people to Jesus. First of all, thank you so much for the work you did through Paul. I mean, apart from you working through him, we wouldn't be here today. Talk about Gentiles, non-Jews coming to faith. We're so grateful for how you work through the power of story, such that we are here today because of what you've been doing through him and countless, countless others throughout history. Father, would you use us towards that same end? Lord, as uh, as one of your disciples, John the Baptist, said, would you increase and we decrease? Would you help us through the power of, of your story in us, point people to Jesus, getting out of the way. Would you help us do this as church? Would you help us do this as, as individuals, giving you all the glory, helping people see Jesus and what you've accomplished through them, through your love on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.